Well, church, let me encourage you, if you would, to go ahead and grab a Bible and join me in the book of John, John's gospel in the New Testament. And if you are here today and don't have a Bible with you, we don't want you to know they are all around the room. There are Bibles in the backs of the seats all around the room, and we'd love for you to grab one of those so that you can see for yourself what the Word of God is saying. And I do want to say to those of you who are new to Shades this morning, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. To those joining us online, I know many may be traveling during this Christmas season or maybe you're, you're just joining online to see what Shades is all about. We're so grateful to share this time together this morning. And we're going to be in John chapter 1 today, next Sunday, and then also on Christmas Eve. So we're going to walk through a, a, a portion of John chapter 1 one. And the prayer that I have been praying for, for all of us, knowing that we would be stepping into John 1 here in this Christmas season, is that the Word of God would give us a, a much bigger picture of, of the celebration of Christmas. That we would have a, a much bigger picture of who God is and what He has done for us that we celebrate here in the midst of the Christmas season. And, and John, the, the, the disciple, has a way at the beginning of this, this chapter to, to open up our eyes to, to a bigger narrative and a bigger view of why we celebrate Christmas. And so I hope you will see that as we turn our attention to the Word of God. I know you are just seated, but I am going to ask you if you're willing and able, would you stand back up with me as we read from the Word of God as I uh, lay out these first five verses of John chapter 1. And if you are new to Shades this morning, I do want you to know the reason why we're standing, we do this each week, is so that we can be reminded that the Word of God, this is the foundation we stand on. We stand firm as the people of God on the unchanging, immovable Word of God. And every time we open the Scripture, every time we look to the Bible, we are looking to what God says is right and good and true. And so we stand in reverence to this, this holy Word of God. And here's what we say, see at the beginning of John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is good news for you and for me here in the midst of this Christmas season. And as I hope we will see together, these verses are laying before us why Jesus came. So let's ask the Lord through a prayer together to speak into our lives before we're seated here this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the privilege that it is in, in the midst of this busy Christmas season to have this moment that has been set apart, I, I believe wholeheartedly, set apart divinely by your hand that we would have an encounter with you through your word. 
And so I realize there's a lot of people that may be coming uh, to a church service for a lot of different reasons. But, but Father, I, I pray that we would all see that, that there is a specific reason why you have us here today. This is not an accident. That there is something that, that you are saying to us that you know we need to hear. There is something that needs to capture our attention and our, our mind's imagination and our heart's devotion in this Christmas season. And so, Lord, I pray as your spirit moves among us that you would show us what we need to see. Use this day for your glory in our lives. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing with me. And just out of curiosity, I, I want to start with a question this morning. And this is, I would love some interaction here. So I'm, I'm going to ask you, if you would, to, to raise your hand in response to the, this question. And I, I realize it's a Baptist church, and some of you, that's still making you a little uncomfortable to raise your hand. But hey, you're invited to raise your hand. And I'd love for you to, to interact. So let me just ask you by show of hands, how many of you had your house or, or apartment or wherever you live fully decorated for Christmas before Thanksgiving? Raise your hand. Anybody? All right, we got, we got a bunch of those around the room. So, so then uh, how many of those fully decorated pretty soon after Thanksgiving, like in the beginning of December? Show of hands. All right. How many of you still have a whole lot to do to decorate your house? All right. How many of you will wait till Christmas Eve? Anybody in the room? Hey, we, oh, oh, maybe. Okay. Well, hey, here is the good news. Here's the good news. We got people all across the board here. So wherever you land there, you can find some folks who, who agree with you. You can find some folks who think you're you're a procrastinator. You can find some folks who think you're overly ambitious, whatever the case may be. We got all types here. But there is no question the decorations are everywhere. It is kind of amazing. It feels like every year it's more and more decorations are, are being put out. At least that's true in our household. And we see decorations everywhere we drive and everywhere we go and everywhere people shop. I mean, the, the Christmas season is here. And there is a specific decoration that, that I want to draw your attention to, uh, a specific decoration that often gets put out in, in, in a Christian household or, or sometimes at a, at a Christian business. It's a, it's a decoration that takes us back to that first Christmas. It's a nativity scene. How many of you have a nativity scene of some kind in your house, around your house? Like, yeah, there's a lot of folks in, in, in church world that, that have a nativity scene. Why? Because the nativity scene is intended to remind us of what all this Christmas celebration is about. And so we look at that nativity scene and, and it takes us back to, to Luke 2 and it takes us back to the angels and the shepherds and it takes us back to, to the baby Jesus in, in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes laying there because there was no room in the inn. And, and so you see farm animals and you see Mary and Joseph and you see this, this beautiful picture of, of the first Christmas that, that reminds us, hey, when we celebrate Christmas, we're we're going back to the arrival, the good news of Jesus Christ coming to dwell among men. But there is something that can happen. Something that can happen to any of us as we look at that nativity scene and we see that, that baby Jesus lying in the manger. We can, we can inadvertently and mistakenly conclude 
That that baby Jesus lying in the manger, that Christmas that we celebrate 2,000 years ago, the, the birth of Jesus, we can conclude mistakenly that that was the beginning of Jesus. And it makes sense that we might conclude that, right? Because when we celebrate the, the birth of a child, we are celebrating the beginning of their life. We are celebrating what, what has taken place at the moment of conception when, when God created life inside the womb and then that life grew for nine months and then that child arrives in the world. We celebrate the beginning of that child's story, the, the beginning of, of really who they are. That, that makes sense. There's birth announcements and, and, and showers and, and there's so many fun things and exciting things that happen at the birth of a child, because we're celebrating the beginning of a new life. But John actually gives us some clarity that invites us to see that this celebration of Christmas is, is so much bigger, and so much more majestic than, than the beginning of Jesus lying in a manger. In fact, John says, actually, you got to go a whole lot further back. And actually, you got to understand that with Jesus, there was no beginning. In the beginning... John says, was the word. What does that mean? That's talking about Jesus. That's showing us that Jesus is eternal. He is the pre-existent God. When creation began, Jesus already was. There's no beginning for Jesus. He is the one who was, the one who is, the one who will always be. That's who Jesus is. And so John's inviting us to, to think more deeply about why Christmas is such good news. So he's inviting us to see a much bigger picture of what we are celebrating, that Bethlehem is not the beginning of Jesus. Bethlehem is the revelation of the one who always was. Bethlehem is an invitation to see God in the flesh. Bethlehem is an invitation to see God's plan in action. Go back to John 1. John 1, verses 1 and 2, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is Jesus. He was in the beginning with God eternal, has always been, and will always be, Jesus is God. John is saying, don't get confused here. As you look at Christmas and as you celebrate those beautiful events of what took place in Bethlehem as, the, as the, the Virgin Mary gave birth to the Son of God, that was not the beginning of Jesus. He was in the beginning with God because he is God. The Apostle Paul says it this way, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. The scripture says this through the Apostle Paul, he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. The image of the invisible God, the revelation of who God is. That's what we see in Jesus. And then Paul says, the firstborn of all creation. And he's, he's not implying here that Jesus was created 
as the firstborn. No, that's not what Paul is saying. When Paul says Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, he's he's inviting us to, to think about a monarchy or think about a kingdom or think about a king reigning in his palace. And everyone would know that the firstborn of that king would have all the same rights, rule, and authority as the king. Why? Because he is the one who will be seated on the throne. So Paul is saying here, the baby Jesus, born in Bethlehem, laid in the manger, is the image of the invisible God, the revelation of the eternal God. He has authority, he has rule, he has reign over all creation as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus is the eternal reigning God. But then we go back to John. John chapter 1, verse 3. John takes us even further. He broadens our perspective even more. He says this, all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. What is John doing here? John is saying, not only do you need to understand that Jesus is eternal. Not only do you need to understand that when it all began at creation, Jesus was there. You need to understand that Jesus is the creator God. Everything that has been made, the scripture says, was made through him. John is taking us all the way back to the beginning. Genesis chapter 1. And he's saying, Jesus was there. But not only was Jesus there, Jesus was actively involved. Jesus is the sovereign, reigning, king of kings, creator, God, Lord over all. That's who Jesus is. And look at the language of John 1, 1 when you compare it to the language of Genesis 1, 1. The very beginning of the story. What does it say? In the beginning. That's intentional. John says, I want to take you back to the garden here. Go back to the very beginning of creation. In the beginning, you have Jesus. He's there. He's actively involved as the creator God. And I want to turn your attention to a deep doctrine of the Christian faith that also shows up in Genesis 1. This is the doctrine of the Holy Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. If you'll turn with me real quickly to Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. There's some some really powerful language here that shows us, again, a bigger picture of who God is, a bigger picture of who Jesus is in the creation account. For the Word of God shows us in Genesis 1, 26 and 27... When God created man. In the midst of the creation story, we see the word of God say that God creates man. But how does the word of God lay this out? Genesis 1.26 says this. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. That language is very intentional. It's very purposeful. 
And let man have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now this is, this is so deep and so beautiful and so important in our culture today. That the word of God is saying God very intentionally created male and female as image bearers of who he is. And when God created male and female, he intended for them to be male and female. That's what God did. That's the word of God laid before us. It's incredibly how, incredible how relevant this is in our context today. And what we're seeing there in verse 26 is the doctrine of the Trinity playing out in the creation account. What is the doctrine of the Trinity? Well, it, this is very, very deep water, and, and it is very much a mind-blowing concept to try and consider and unpack the Trinity. But the Trinity, simply put, is, is God, one God. We are monotheistic as, as followers of Jesus, as Christians. We believe there is one true God, sovereign and reigning over all. We're not polytheistic. We're worshiping many gods. We believe in one God, but that one God through the word of God is revealed to us in three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, if your mind is blown or aching right now, welcome to the party. This is beyond what we can fully comprehend. Why? Because we're talking about God. And the word of God is constantly saying to the people of God, you need a bigger view of God. You need a bigger view of who he is and what he's done. You need a bigger view of his authority, his power, his reign. You need a bigger view of his grace, his mercy, and his kindness. You and I need a bigger view of God. And so the word of God is saying to us here in the creation account, here's, here's a bigger view of God. This doctrine of the Trinity that says, let us, Father, Son, and Spirit, one God in three persons, make man in our Father, Son, and Spirit, one God, three persons, our image, after our Father, Son, and Spirit, one God, three distinct persons, after our likeness. Jesus is the eternal God of creation. The eternal God who is revealed, the revealed image of God the Father through his arrival in Bethlehem, through his birth in Bethlehem, the eternal God reveals the Father conceived by the Holy Spirit, it says of Jesus, in the account of what takes place at Christmas, born to the Virgin Mary in Bethlehem. This is who Jesus is. He has always been. But after all of that, the question is, why does that matter to your life and mine? Why does that matter in the celebration of Christmas? Why, why is this so significant that John makes it clear in his 
opening of his letter, his gospel account, this is who Jesus is. If you're going to know Jesus, you need to know that Jesus was long before the baby in Bethlehem. Why? Because Jesus is eternal. There is no beginning of him. Why does that matter? And specifically, in your own story, why does this matter to you? Or should it matter to you? Well, I want to give you one reason. One reason that I believe is of the utmost importance. I believe that understanding a bigger view of who Jesus is, this eternal perspective of who Jesus is as the one who has always been and the one who is the creator God reigning over all creation. Here's why it's so important. Because it reminds us God is in control. And some of you in your story today, that's, that's the thing you need to hear. God is in control. And God has a plan, a perfect plan that he created, a perfect plan that reveals who he is, a perfect plan that demonstrates his love to you and to me. God is in control and God has a perfect plan as the one who has always been reigning over all of creation. Galatians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul unpacks this in a way that is so incredibly helpful in light of John 1 and Genesis 1. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. He says, when the fullness of time had come. And this is amazing. The only way... That the word of God could say something took place when the fullness of time had come is if there is a God who sees and oversees and is in control over the fullness of time. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. What is this saying? This is saying from the dawn of creation, God has been in control and he continues to be in control. And in God's perfect timing, he came in the flesh, revealed himself as the son Jesus, so that you and I could see the image of the invisible God, who is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, who reigns over all creation as the creator and as the incarnate savior. From the very beginning, listen to this, from the very beginning of creation, Jesus knew the plan of God that he would come in the flesh and dwell among men. From the very beginning of creation, Jesus knew that he would go to a cross. From the very beginning of creation, Jesus knew that he would be resurrected from the grave. That this was God's plan. Why did Jesus know that? Because Jesus is God and Jesus is the plan. That's who Jesus is. He is God's 
plan to demonstrate his love to the world to redeem for himself a people who have been set apart by grace through faith, receiving Jesus as Savior and Lord. Jesus came to take on flesh in the perfect time when the fullness of time had come to redeem those, the scripture says, who were under the law. What does that mean? To redeem those who were under the law. This is telling us why Jesus came to earth. Why did Jesus come to earth? To redeem those who are under the law. What does it mean that Jesus came to redeem those under the law? Now, go back to John 1. John chapter 1, verse 4. And I realize we're covering a lot of ground, but I will say this. If you don't hear anything else, please hear this. John chapter 1, verse 4. In fact, if, you're, if you highlight things in your Bible or underline things in the Bible or, or, or circle things about, this is a verse to circle. John chapter 1, verse 4. This is why Jesus came. This is what it means that Jesus came to redeem those under the law. In him was life. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. This is so beautiful. This is so powerful. This is foundational to the good news of the gospel message. The creator of life came to redeem those who are under the law as the giver of life. How? By giving his life. That's what Christ has done. And so what that means for every single one of us is that Jesus did not come simply to be a good teacher. Jesus did not come simply to be a good example. Jesus did not come simply to help us live a good life or become the best version of ourselves. Jesus did not come simply to clean us up or bail us out when we were in trouble. No, Jesus is Life, the giver of life in him is life. So that means that Jesus came to bring the dead to life. That's why Jesus came, to redeem those under the law. What does that mean? They were spiritually dead in their sins and their trespasses, spiritually separated from God because of all in their life and all in their story that is outside of God's best and God's design. That's what it means to have sin. The things that we've done, the things that we've thought, the things that we've said that are outside of God's best and outside of God's design, they are a violation against the law of God. And as a result, in our sin, we are separated from God. And if we are separated from God, we are separated from the very source of life, which means in being separated from God, we are spiritually dead. We're going to turn to another passage here before we finish in John 1. And it's got to be Ephesians. I mean, I know we spent the whole year in Ephesians and we wrapped it up last week, but I mean, 
Come on, you know we had to go back there, right? So I want to ask you to turn with me to Ephesians. If you're new to Shades, we've been walking through Ephesians all throughout this calendar year. We wrapped it up last Sunday, but I just can't get away from it. So we're going to go back to Ephesians 2 real quickly. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. This helps us understand what it means when the scripture says that that Jesus came to redeem those under the law and Jesus came as the one who is life. In him was life. Why is that so important? Well, Ephesians 2 helps us see the reality of our story. And I do want to say this. Some of us here today... Those of you who are followers of Jesus Christ, Ephesians 2, 1 and 2, it shows the reality of what your story used to be. But there are some of you here today who have, who have yet to receive the good news of the gospel in a personal way. And so this, what we're about to read, Ephesians 2, 1 and 2, this is revealing the current reality of your story. And we need to see this. And so what I want to ask you to do as we look at these verses real quickly in Ephesians 2 is to, is to look at these verses and not be thinking about who else might need to hear them, but look at these verses and think about how they apply to your story right now. Is this a picture of what your story was or is this the present reality of your story? Ephesians 2, 1 and 2 says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Every single one of us, this either was our story or it is our story. This is the reality of what sin does in our life. It separates us from God. God is the source of life. If we are separated from the source of life, we are spiritually dead in the trespasses and sins of our life. Some of you, this is your reality right now, today. Some of you, this was your reality at a time in the past. How can this go from what was a reality to now currently a different reality? Well, we see that in Ephesians 2 verse 4. And this is the good news of the gospel. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. This is why Christ came. The image of the invisible God is God in the flesh demonstrating God's love to us that even while we were dead in our trespasses, he came as the very source of life to bring the dead to life. That's Jesus. And this was God's plan from the very beginning of creation. It's not like the sin of Adam and Eve caught God off guard. It's not like the sin of your life and mine caught God off guard and he said, oh no, what do I do now? No, God knew what would take place. He is sovereign. He is reigning. He is over all things. And Jesus at creation knew that he would come. He knew that he would come to invite us to life. 
In him was life. And the life was the light of men. So what does that mean in a personal way? Well, it means if you are a Christian or you call yourself a Christian, to be a Christian is not just simply to be a good person. To be a nice guy or, or a kind lady. Uh, to be a Christian is not just to be a, a moral citizen. To, to be a Christian is, is not just to be an individual who goes to church on Sunday morning and instead of sleeping in. A Christian is someone who was dead and has been brought to life. A Christian is someone who was separated from God, but then received the gift of the giver of life, and as a result has been brought into the family of God as a son or a daughter of the king. This is why Christmas is such good news. The giver of life has revealed who God is. God in the flesh to redeem those under the law, to invite those under the law to be called sons and daughters of the king, to demonstrate God's love and grace and mercy. The life has come for those who are dead. And we'll end with verse 5 today. John chapter 1, verse 5 says this, the light... In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. This is such good news. Because I know some of you today, you're in the midst of a, a dark season. Some of you today, you've walked through, you've walked through some darkness that it feels unbearable. Some of you, your story has been very dark. And you wonder, is there, is there any hope in this darkness? Is, has the darkness won? Is the, is the darkness too powerful? I mean, I, I realize that based on what you may be walking through right now, you may say, I, I don't know. I don't know. If this darkness is ever going to end. But the message of Christmas, the message of the gospel, the message of God's perfect plan that began at creation and in his perfect timing is revealed through Jesus Christ coming to dwell among men. The good news of God's plan that we celebrate at Christmas is that no matter how dark things appear, the darkness will never overcome the light. It has not, it will not, and it cannot. Now, let me give you just a very basic, quick example of this, and then we'll close. 
I, I'm, I'll venture to guess if we were around the room today and said, okay, what's, what's, your, what's your bedtime routine that all of us would have some kind of routine or, 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 or little like uh, habit or ritual that we go through before we get bed, in bed every night. And it could be, you know, brushing your teeth, washing your face, throwing on PJs, whatever the things are that you do, making sure the lights are out, like whatever, whatever those things are. Uh, you got some kind of routine most likely that you go through before you go to sleep at night. And, and in our household, Megan and I, we have a routine and part of that routine, part of that routine is that right before we get into bed, we've got these blackout curtains and every single night, every single night, we pull them as tight as we possibly can to cover every possible centimeter of our windows, all right? And sometimes I didn't pull it quite tight enough. And so Megan comes around to my side of the bed. And she's like, pull it tighter. It needs to cover every square part of this window. It needs to overlap the window. And, and then we close the doors to our room. And then sometimes we even like put a pillow or something at the door so that, so that the, the bottom of the, where the door and the floor meet, that's covered, right? Why? Why? Because we don't want the light to come in. We don't want the light to come in. Sometimes Megan even wears this eye mask thing. <laughs> like to keep all the light out. But here's the deal. And I, I'm not saying we don't want the light to come in like we don't want Jesus to come in. That would be terrible for the preacher to say. I'm talking about like the physical light, okay? But here's what happens every single morning. Most mornings earlier than Megan wants it to happen. Every single morning. No matter how good we've done at trying to cover windows and, and cover the cracks at the bottom of the door, no matter what we've done, every single morning, the light pierces the darkness. Every single morning, the light overcomes the darkness. Every single morning, the darkness does not win. Every day. And this is the good news of what we celebrate at Christmas. That the light has come to the world. And the light is the revelation of life brought to us from God. The eternal creator God, Jesus, who now reveals the life God provides through his own life in the flesh who then gives that life as a sacrifice at the cross and a ransom for many so that through his resurrection the dead could be brought to life and the light continues to shine. Christmas Eve, I love Christmas Eve. We're going to have some beautiful services this year for Christmas Eve. We're going we're to share the gospel and at the end of the service we're going to light candles. It's so beautiful in this room when the candles are lit. But every year, I just, I look forward to it every year. Before that first candle is lit, we turn off the lights. It's dark in this room. It looks like everything is so dark that the darkness is one. And one little candle flicker can be seen by everyone, everywhere in this room. Because the darkness cannot overcome the light. As you celebrate Christmas this year, may you rest in this promise. May you rest in the hope 
that is the good news of the gospel, that the light of life has come to the world. And if you are here today and you know, you know, you've never received this good news of the light of the world, the life that God provides, it's found in Jesus and it can be yours. Jesus Christ has come to illuminate the love of God and the light that God provides to those who by grace through faith will call on his name and be saved. Let me pray for us as we close. Father, we love you. And we thank you for the good news of the gospel that is so beautifully revealed through your word in John chapter 1. That the eternal creator God, Jesus, has come to dwell among men as the life and the light of the world. Father, I pray for those who have never received this life through Jesus Christ. I pray that today would be the day, that this Christmas season would be the time that they would say, Jesus, I, I've tried so many things to find real life. I've tried and tried, and I just realized I cannot do this on my own. Jesus, I am calling out to you to save me. I need your life. I need your light to shine in me. Jesus, I am trusting in you. And Father, for your people, for your church, I pray, Lord God, that in this Christmas season, you would use the light that you have given us through Jesus Christ to shine brightly in the world around us. Use us for your glory. Remind us of the good news. Every time we see lights, every time we see decorations, every time we see the, the celebration of this season, remind us of the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done, that he is our hope and he is the promise of your perfect plan revealed. We praise your name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.